You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning and welcome. So excited to see each and every one of you. And as far as getting started, I'm going to need a little audience participation this morning, okay? Is that, is that okay this morning? All right, I'm going to need a little help. Here's what I need. I need dating, relationship, or marriage advice summed up in one word, okay? So I'm just going to come around the audience and just, you just give me a word. We'll start with Doug right here. Doug, uh, the best dating relationship advice. What would you say? Dating relationship. Um. <laughs> do it often do it often date often okay all right all right let's let's go to another couple uh here here we go let's let's ask albert what do you think best advice trust trust oh that's good that's good all right let's go to josh how about josh what would you have to say uh, being on the same page oh being on the same page this is good this is good ethan my man all right here we go what would you say constantly apologize Ooh, constantly apologize. I think somebody's trying to like fill in for something, you know, just like, hey, maybe something happened this week or something. Uh, let's, let's go to the other side of the auditorium and then let's ask. Lana, how about you? What would, be, what would you say the best relationship advice? Love each other. Ooh, that's good. Love each other. Pastor Meese. Pastor Meese. Because a couple of years ago, he was Dr. Love or the love doctor. So he's got all the answers, okay? So Pastor Meese, what would you say? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, go to, let's go to the wife. I bet she has all the answers. I think the main one is put God first. Ooh, that's good. That's good. That's good. I like that. Kathy, what would you say? Oh, Kathy's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. Thelma, what would you say? Trust. Trust. There we go. Trust. Okay. Yes, you got one? Um... Communication. Communication. Uh, there we go. I think that one's powerful. What would you say? He stole mine. No, you can say it too. Communication. That's exactly what I had. Dude, there you read go. my notes? Shannon's got one. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's great. And let's go to the last one. Let's go, let's go one more. One more. Let's go right here. Right here. Here we go. Being present. Being present. Let's do another one. We have somebody else to raise their hand. Here we go. What would you say? Honesty. Ooh, honesty. I like that. I like this. Aren't these all good? Can we give it a round of applause for our audience participation this morning? Pretty great. And if I didn't get to you and you had some really good dating advice, the point actually wasn't that we wanted your advice. The point is I actually wanted to get to something and two of you actually said where, where I wanted to go with it. And I think many of us, this is on our mind when we think about relationships. And I think the number one thing that we would all agree with is that all of those are good but communication's still key. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've gotten upset with my better half, and I said, fine, I'm not going to talk to you. You say, well, that's pretty immature, Pastor Micaiah. It is immature, but I'm just saying there have been times where I just said, fine, I'm not going to talk to you. And then Jana walked by in some cute outfit, and I was like, <laughs> and I'll be like, that's not fair, like for one. All right, I'm supposed to be mad at you, and you can't be looking cute and, and doing that. And then it just kind of breaks the ice, and then the, the, we forget why we were upset. But I'll tell you this. You cannot have a good relationship with somebody if you never talk to them. It's impossible. 
You will not have a relationship that lasts any length of time if there's no communication. And I think we all understand that with our spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. Hey, that even is true with your boss. Try ignoring your boss for just a few weeks. You will have a help wanted sign on your company door. And you're like, what? What happened? Well, you got fired because you got to communicate with the boss. Not only communicate with the boss, the government wants you to communicate with them at least once a year during tax season. They want communication. It's amazing that everybody wants communication. Everybody realizes it's foundational. But when it comes to Christians, we think we can have a healthy, thriving, growing relationship with God without communicating with him. This is why prayer is so important. Because too often, we just think, well, I talk to God all the time. Let me ask you a question. If you were simply to tell your better half, significant other, hey, we're going to talk three times a day, and we're only going to talk for about 30 seconds to a minute, but it's going to be right before we eat breakfast, right before we eat lunch, and right before we eat dinner, and maybe, if you're lucky, right before we go to bed. How long is that relationship going to be very healthy and strong? Not very long. But yet, how many Christians... If we're honest, that is the extent of our prayer time. Now, I know what we say. Well, I just talk to God all the time. I'm always praying. I'm always praying. No, no, no. You got pulled over, and now you're like, I'm in trouble. So now I'm praying, you know? Or, or I did something bad, so now, now I'm praying. No, that's not the spirit with which God wants us to live in an attitude of prayer. And Ephesians says, pray without ceasing. But what does that mean, to pray without ceasing? What does that mean? And what, that's what we're going to discover over the next several weeks. And I'm so excited about this teaching. I'm so excited about dealing with this subject of prayer. Because Christians, we know that prayer is important. I don't think we understand just how important it really is. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into prayer. But then this is going to get really practical with prayer. And I want us to put, us, put it into practice. The month of October, I'm so proud of our church family. Because you were key and instrumental in seeing 18 people saved in the month of October. Can we just celebrate that for a moment? Last week, we baptized seven people, so that was huge. We saw scores of visitors. Many of you brought your, your, your one, and if, if you're one, you're thinking, you know, I brought this person, they're my one, and they were like, oh, are we going out? No, no, you're my one. I want to make sure you don't go to hell. I want you to make sure you go to heaven. That's what I mean by my one. And, and many of you brought it. And the powerful thing about the month of October was we saw huge results. God did some amazing things, but it was because you and I got the vision for seeing people saved. That you and I took evangelism seriously. And our church began to invite people. So there's an invite card in your seat. Don't just leave it on your seat. Take it with you and invite somebody to church where we're going to preach the gospel. And understand that whenever you and I go to church, we're all looking for something. You know that? Everybody who goes to church is looking for something. Some people are maybe not necessarily, if they're single, they're not less looking for a something. It might be a someone. But we all come to church looking for something. Some say, I'm looking for great worship. That's what I'm looking for. Nothing wrong with that. Some people go to church and say, I'm looking for a great children's ministry. Nothing wrong with that. Some people go to church and say, I am looking for just a family atmosphere where everybody knows your name. Kind of like cheers. You know, I just, that's what I'm looking for. Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm looking for a pastor that just loves to pontificate and he's really deep. And uh, that's what I'm looking for. Or maybe you say, you know what, I am looking for a place where uh, just great facilities, you know, just really good facilities. These are some of the things that people look for when they go to church. 
They were some of the things that were on your mind when you went to church. There were some factors that were playing into why you go to church. So that's why you and I might go to church, but what do you think God is looking for when he is looking at a church? Is he looking for great preaching and teaching? Not necessarily. Is he looking for great buildings? Not necessarily. Is he looking for wonderful children's ministry that might even have a slide that that way when the kids go down the slide, there's a baptism pool and just all the kids get baptized right there in the children's ministry? Is that what he's looking for? Is he looking for custom-brewed coffee, the only place you can get it in all the Silicon Valley is at Southridge Church? No, he's not looking for that. You and I are, but God's not looking for that. So what is God looking for? I believe the answer is found in Matthew 21. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can go to Matthew 21. We're going to be looking at several passages this morning, and then we're going to pick one passage where we're going to be in for the next four or five weeks. But in Matthew 21, verse 12 through 13, it's Jesus is walking into the temple, and when Jesus came into the temple, he does something. Notice, if you would, verse 12, it'll be on the screen. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the saints of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And he is quoting directly from Isaiah 56, 7, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. What is God looking for when he looks at the church? Not many of the things that we use to market churches. He's looking for a church filled with the aroma of prayer. That's what he's looking for. And if there's one thing that we need to recapture Southridge Church, this is not for us to say, well, this church and that church should do it and everybody else should do it. It's one thing we need to recapture is the heart of prayer. Where we learn to once again know how to communicate with our God. Where we know how to pray. And I'll be honest, I thought I knew how to pray. I really thought, well, you know what? I, I think I know how to pray. But then I, I began to realize that not everybody in our church is praying. And sheep reflect the shepherd. So if our church is not a praying church, it means our pastor is not a praying pastor. And so the judgment must first start at the house of the Lord. And so I said, God, teach me to pray. And so with that thought, let's go to a Luke 11. And this is where we're going to spend the next several weeks. Because God is looking for something that often is not on the radar of most people that are looking for the church or looking to go to church. And notice, if you would, verse number one, as you turn to Luke 11, verse one. Now it came to pass as he, this is Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And I love that. Some translations play in a regular place. Jesus had a place of prayer. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he, he being Jesus, said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We call this the Lord's Prayer, don't we? 
This is that prayer that many of us, if we grew up in the church, we're familiar with. This is that prayer that if you even went to a a Catholic catechism, they would teach you this prayer. They would say, hey, pray so many Hail Marys or so many Lord's Prayer. Many of us, we know this prayer, but this is also what we would call the model prayer. It's the model for you and I to follow. If you and I struggle with prayer, it's because we have missed the model. Jesus here in this teaching is showing us some amazing truths about prayer. And for you and I, oftentimes we just read it and we can even probably turn off the screens for a second. We could probably quote it from memory because it's so familiar to us, isn't it? The Lord's Prayer, how powerful this is. And so I want us to once again grasp the prayer the power of this prayer. Because D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the late 1800s, said every great movement of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. The most important work the church does is not children's ministry. It's not discipleship. The most important work the church does is not growth tracks, not evangelism. The most important work the church does is the work of prayer. That's the most important thing. But oftentimes it's the most neglected. Because God said, if anything that should be characteristic of your church, should be, it should be a place known by prayer. There are churches that are world-renowned, and they're known for maybe their music label. They're known maybe for their pastor. They're known mainly for maybe he's an author, a speaker, or maybe he has a topic that he speaks on. But where are the churches that are known for prayer? You see, when prayer becomes your habit, miracles will become your lifestyle. That's what God wants to get you to. You know, the reason we don't pray is because we've gone so long without seeing our prayers answered. You and I would pray much more if we saw our prayers answered, but oftentimes the reason our prayers aren't answered is because we're not asking in the right way. My children, they can ask me for anything. There's nothing stopping my children from asking me. The tone of which they ask me will determine whether or not they get their request. And it's true with your children your grandchildren, your employees, your coworkers, your spouse. A lot of it is not what they're asking, it's how they're asking. And yet Christians, we don't understand that Jesus gave us a model to approach prayer and how to get our prayer requests answered. And so when we pray, when our prayer becomes habit, miracles become the lifestyle, and then Jesus takes the model prayer and then he begins to expound on the model prayer beginning in verse number five. He gives an illustration. I love it. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? That's no friend that shows up at midnight. And says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. No. Go to somewhere else. I'm sleeping. And then verse 6 says, for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I will say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he is his friend, and notice this, because of his persistence. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I would underline, highlight that, because that, that, that is so key. But because of his persistence, he will rise and give him. How many loaves did he ask for? Notice what the verse says. He will give him as Many as he needs. He needed three, but because of his persistence, he's like, I'll give you as many as you need. You see, Jesus is illustrating what he just taught. 
He's trying to say, hey, you understand prayer. You think you do. But I want to show you a new dynamic of prayer. It's that God wants miracles to become a lifestyle for every believer. But yet, you and I, we've lost sight of that. So prayer becomes this, this, this thing that we're like, oh, man, so hard to pray. Or you've done one of these where you're like, oh, man, I was praying the other day, and I was praying for like 20, 30, 40 minutes, like an hour, hour and a half. And then I looked up, and the clock moved like a minute and a half. And you're like, man, I just, I just prayed everything I know how to pray. And how come the time is still there? And you and I struggle with this. We're like, oh, we know we should pray more. But what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that prayer needs to be persistent. That prayer needs to have some persistence behind it. You see, when we pray through, that's when God comes through. But too often we pray for something and then it doesn't happen right away. So we're just kind of like, oh, it must not be. I'm going through a book about the Azusa Street Revival, a revival that started in 1904 and lasted until 1908 on Azusa Street in uh, Los Angeles. It's spawned several denominations. The apostolic movement or the Assemblies of God movement was stemmed from there and the Foursquare Church was stemmed from that revival. It was a revival that did not stop. It went every day, all day. They had three services all day and they would just run into each other for a continuum of over three years. It was led by a man by the name of William J. Seymour. He was a former slave that came to Los Angeles, and it was there that he got called to a small little Bible study. He went to a church, the church that had asked him to come out there, and he started preaching about the work of the Holy Spirit, and then the church elders locked him out of the church and said never to return. But there was one family that said, we believe in what you're saying. Can you come to our house and begin praying? And they began to fill the house with prayer. The neighbors showed up, and so many people were gathering at the house that they were on the porch just praying and praising God that the porch actually collapsed and so they moved and bought this old building and it was the Azusa Street Mission and that's where they started and out of that mission a huge revival broke out they would say because at that time in the early 1900s there was a bunch of Russian immigrants coming into Los Angeles Los Angeles ran about 220,000 people but it was growing and so there was all these Russians coming there were people from China coming there were people from Mexico they were coming there was all these different cultures that were coming to California because the railroad system. They all spoke their own languages. But as Pastor William J. Seymour would preach, they said, we didn't, under, we didn't know he understood Russian. He says, no, you don't understand. I, I'm a former slave. I, I, I don't speak Russian. They said, but we heard you speaking Russian. A person from China would say, I didn't know you spoke Chinese. He said, I don't speak Chinese. There would be people that they would walk in with crutches and they would leave their crutches on the side because they would walk out without it. There were real miracles because there was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that it came down. You say, why? How did that happen? Because William J. Seymour would pray for five hours every single day. They said he would get into preaching and he would fall onto his knees. And for a pulpit, what they had were these boxes that were flipped on their sides. And they said William J. Seymour would just get down like this. And it was awkward. And he would stick his head inside the box and he would just begin to pray. And the service would just, people would just watch him pray. Somebody might sing. Somebody else might preach. But there was this spirit of prayer. And then God began to do miracles. The L.A. Times began to record it and things began to break out and things happened there that we look back and we say, wow, that's amazing. But God is no respecter of persons. What he has done then, he can do now. But yet the church has got to once again understand that we are to be called the place of prayer. That we are called to this ministry of prayer. And when we pray through, God will come through. God is not offended by a big ask. 
Notice this man, he shows up at midnight. God is trying to demonstrate that he is the man. He's saying, hey, come to me. Come to me with your needs. Come at any hour, any time, with any request. He's not offended by too big of an ask. But what often happens is God answers 100% of prayers that we never ask. God answers 100% of prayers we do not pray. And if there's anything that we will look back on when our life is gone and done, we will look back and say, I, I wish I would have prayed more. I wish I would have asked God for some bigger things. I wish I would have asked God for some bigger miracles, miracles that shake me and stir me. But too often in the church, we, we stop short of what God wants. You and I, when we encounter a problem, we start to brainstorm how to find the solution, do we not? God wants to get the church to stop brainstorming to solve our problems and to start prayer storming our problems. They say, God, we need you on this situation. I need you in this moment. And we pray through, and that's when God comes through. But too often the church can pray a few minutes, and we just think, well, that's probably good enough. My son has to take some antibiotics right now. The doctor said it's very important that he takes these antibiotics three times a day for the next seven days. Do you think it's important to my child, his parents, that we make sure he gets that in medicine? Absolutely, it's important to me. Three times a day, seven days, he's going to get that medicine. Why? Because there's a virus in his body that he needs that medication. He needs those antibiotics. And if we don't go the full seven days, three times a day, we're not going to get that virus. Yet the church, we have a much greater virus. It's the virus of sin. It's the virus of death. It's the virus that we need to see a move of God. But yet the church, we pray three times a day. Lord, bless this meal that I'm about to partake. And God looks down at your double-double with the Coke and large fries, and you're going to wash it down with the apple pie. And God's like, you need a whole lot more help than I can give over that meal. How am I supposed to bless that? It's to taste good, but it's not going to be good for you. But yet this is how we pray. You see, the reason we don't like to pray is our prayers aren't getting answered. So we need to step back. And here's what I know about our church. We have the desire to pray, do we not? You say, yeah, I have the desire to pray. We all have the desire to pray. You know what you and I lack? The discipline to pray. Because we want everything to just be in the spirit. We want everything to just feel good. And I don't want to talk to God if I don't feel it. Then guess what? You're not going to talk to God very much. And we know communication is the way to build a stronger relationship. So we've got to move on from just this desire to discipline. And it's interesting And church, I hope I rattle you with this. Throughout Jesus' teaching, Jesus never said, hey, when you give, give so much. When you preach, preach for so long. When you evangelize, evangelize this much. But when it comes to the subject of prayer, Jesus actually did give us a timeline to follow. You say, what do you mean? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to uh, lay down his life for you and I in Matthew 26. And he takes his disciples across the Kidron Valley and he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. I've walked to this same place and they have olive trees that predate the time of Christ. And you can walk into this grove and you can see it. And there's this moment where you're like, this is where Jesus was. This is where he fell on his knees and cried out to God and said, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus was not alone when he was in that part of the garden. There were three people with him. It was Peter, James, and John. 
and it was a, a great time in the dark. It was, it was late at night, and Jesus is praying, and the stress from the prayer began to break the capillaries in his forehead. He began to pray drops of blood. And then he comes over to his disciples and he finds them sleeping and he says something to them, something powerful and something that I want our church to get. And this is, I think, a revolutionary point in your prayer life and in my prayer life. And it's found in Matthew 26, verse 40. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch from me for one hour? I'm going to make a statement. You can debate and argue and disagree all you want, but prayer should be a minimum of one hour. Minimum, one hour. You say, I don't even go to the gym an hour. I don't even talk to my wife an hour. I don't even do this for an hour. I don't even go to church for an hour. No. But prayer for an hour. And when I first thought about this thought, and this is the game changer for me because I didn't pray an hour, maybe collectively, but let's just be honest. Praying an hour at first, that's daunting. And I was like, man, an hour. So I was like, man, how are we going to do this? How am I going to figure out an hour to talk to God about? I mean, I can ramble. I can make stuff up. But I mean real, sincere, genuine prayer that touches the throne of heaven. Prayer that actually makes a difference. Not just manby pamby prayer that doesn't get beyond the ceiling. Not just prayer that just says, hey, take care of all the sick people. I go on our church app and God bless you, put your prayer request. Can we start praying for bigger things than just, hey, my bunion and I'm sick and this person. And that's all good. But I'm saying, guys, where are the prayers that are really going to shake heaven and shake earth? Can we start praying about big miracles? Because I don't think God's looking down and saying, oh, my God. Gabriel, look at that church. Look at their faith. They're praying for this person. No, I, I think God wants some, some big prayers. I think God wants us to pour out our hearts before him. God wants to see us not as a sleeping church. And if anything, we can find ourselves in that passage because too often I think we're more like the disciples. We're asleep while Jesus is praying. And we know because of Hebrews that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. That even now, Jesus is praying before God for you and I. He's always praying. But is his church always praying? So I say to you this morning, we've got to start praying the price. We've got to start praying the price to see God move. You know, it's amazing. Anything easy in my life and in your life, we don't normally remember it. Anything easy, it just, it's not memorable. Easy stuff just isn't that memorable. Did you ever just go into class and you just had an easy quiz or an easy test? Do you remember it all? Not really. Did you have a hard teacher or a hard professor? And like, oh, man, that one sticks out of my mind. Or are you gym buffs? You ever go into the gym and you're just like, that workout was intense. It's been five weeks and I'm still sore. Oh, my goodness. Did you ever go through anything difficult in your life? That stands out in your mind. When's the last time you prayed a really big prayer? A hard prayer. And that prayer that won't let you go and you can't let heaven go. And you're like Jacob wrestling with the angel saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. I'm going to stay right here, whatever it takes. I'm not leaving my prayer closet. I'm not leaving my time with God. I'm going to pray through until you break through. You see, desire has to turn into discipline. And here's the powerful truth, that when it comes to prayer, your discipline will be turn into delight. There's that moment where prayer can become delight. But just like on October 14th, 1947, Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier 
for the very first time, you and I have to break the supernatural barrier. And there is a barrier. And that's why you and I feel like, well, I just can't pray, Pastor. I just, I I don't know if I can pray that. You're saying pray an hour a day. I don't know if I can pray an hour a day. An hour a day minimum, actually. Minimum, hour a day. And let me be totally transparent. I didn't start this until I listened to an audiobook from 1984 by this mysterious pastor I'd never heard of. And I found an audiobook and it convicted me. And all of a sudden I began to realize that an hour prayer is a game changer in my own life. But now let's go to Luke chapter number one, 11 once again. And I want to teach us something. And this is where we're going to go for the next couple weeks. Because I want to help us to learn how to pray an hour a day. I call it the hour of power. Because you and I need power. We need God's power. You need it for your relationships. You need it for this, the, the temptations. You need it for this world. You need to know how to pray. And we've got to understand. It's found in one word. If you go back to Luke 11, verse 2, notice what he said. When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's that one word in that whole phrase that I would just, I didn't get. Maybe you don't get it. Or maybe you do. You see, the word hallowed means to be set apart, to reverence, to holy. That's what it means. So God is saying, when you begin every prayer, you first start with how good, how great, how holy God is. Many times you and I are like, oh God, I got this bill. I got this problem. I got this. You need to handle it now. That's kind of how we start prayer. But God is saying, that's not how you start prayer. Any of you in high school have to get a hall pass to go use the restroom and go see the teacher? You have to get a hall pass? And nobody wants to participate. You don't like raising your hands. That's fine. All right. A few of you do now. But if you were caught in the hall without that pass, would you get in trouble? Yeah. You know, uh, one time I was driving down, and Jane and I were supposed to leave the country and go to Mexico, and we made it all the way to Tejon Ranch. And I looked over at Jane, and I said, Hey, hon, this is a dumb question. I have blonde hair, so I'm going to ask it. Uh, Do we need a passport to go to Baja, Mexico? She's like, yes, we do. I was like, thought so. All right, I'm going to drop you off here, and I'm going to drive back to San Jose, and hopefully I'm making time to catch our flight to LAX because I left our passports in the file box. And so I left her at Mod Pizza. My parents came and picked her up because there was no way I was getting into the country without my passport. You and I think we can just willy-nilly come into the presence of God. Because you say, oh, man, the Bible says, let us therefore come boldly into his presence. Wait a minute. Hold on. There's a whole lot of other scriptures that says, enter his, thanks with, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. There is a way. There is a hall pass that you and I need. And it starts in that word hallowed. The word hallowed means he's holy, that God is worthy, that God is great. So prayer changes when you and I start right there. We say, God, before I get going, I just need to celebrate you, how good you are. I just need to praise you for a minute. I need to talk about how good you are. Are. My children are healthy. There's a roof over my head. There's food in the fridge. There's gas in the tank. There's money in the bank. God, not all my problems are solved, but let me just praise you for a little bit. Let me just hallow your name. Let me just lift you up a little bit. And I just started there. But then that's not the whole verse, is it? It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And church, this is where things get really exciting. This is where prayer changes for everybody. And this is where I'm hoping it changes for you. I thought about that. I was thinking, the name, the name, the name. God has more than just one name. God has a lot of names. 
But God's names have more than just, it's not just a name. Like, my name's Micaiah, and yours might be Sam or John or Missile or Sassy, or it may be Peter. I, you, you're, you got a name. But understand, when we say God's name, it's not just a name. He's the name above every name. He's the name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But then I begin to think about the names. You ever go back and study the names of God? I began to study the names. And when we pray, we got to go back over and start to pray the names and start saying, Lord, I'm going to start praising you. Why am I going to praise God for the names? Understand, because God is Jehovah Kadesh, the God who sanctifies. So when we come into God's presence, we come in and we say, God, by the authority of your word, I know I'm a blood-bought child of God. You sanctified me. You are Jehovah Kadesh. I am clean before you. I don't come with any dirt or any rags. Because of your precious son, Jesus, I walk into your presence clean. So let me praise you for the fact that you are my sanctifier. Let me just start there and just praise you for who you are. But we don't stop at Jehovah Kadesh. We keep moving. He is Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. And God, you're going to take care of my needs because he even says, give us this day our daily bread. So I begin to praise him in advance before I ever see it. I begin to praise him and thank him. I'm already thanking him for a beautiful building packed with people that need to know Jesus. I'm already praising him. Why? Because he's Jehovah Jireh. This is who he is. But it doesn't stop there. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the God of peace. You have anxiety. You have frustration. You've got anger. You're upset. You're bothered. You start praying Jehovah Shalom. You are the God of peace. Fill my heart with peace. Fill my mind with peace. Fill the situation in my marriage. Fill this room with peace because that's who God is but it doesn't stop there see God's name continues to go on it says he's Jehovah Rapha this is the God who heals our God is a healing God he doesn't just heal back in the day he heals today that's why we could pray by the authority of Jesus Christ that Debbie Duran would be healed even though doctors had given up and now she's here she's healthy she's strong we pray and we praise God because he is the God who heals and my friend we need to understand this that this is who God is. He's Jehovah Rapha, but he doesn't just stop there. He is Jehovah Nisai. He is the Lord, our banner. He is our victory. We march forward in his authority. He is the one that conquers. Jesus doesn't overlook sin. He overcame sin because he's Jehovah Nisai. That's who God is. And then we go on Jehovah Sitkanu. He's our righteousness, that I am righteous before God. That's my position. This is why in Colossians 2, 11, it's says you are complete in him although I don't feel complete I still have lust I still have temptations I still lie I still do things I wish I wouldn't so how can God's word say I'm complete in him because God gives me a picture of what the promise looks like and that's how Jesus sees me and I wouldn't buy a toy for my kids a Lego box if I didn't see what the picture was if I just saw the pieces I wouldn't buy it but God gave us a picture of what our future looks like and our future is that we reflect Jesus Christ and he is our righteousness. Can you see how prayer changes when you start thanking God for who he is? But we don't just stop there. We continue that he is also Jehovah Shammah. God is there. Do you feel alone? Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel isolated? you feel like nobody at my work is a child of God? Nobody at my place? Nobody in my marriage? Nobody's with me? Then you say Jehovah Shammah. You are with me right now. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Wherever you go, we have God with us, Jehovah Shema. And then we go on to Jehovah Rohi. God is my shepherd. Oh, our shepherd leads us. He's guiding us. Can you see how prayer changes, my friend? Can I just be honest with you, personal testimony? 
it takes me 30 to 45 minutes just to pray through that. I get lost in thinking about how good God is. I just get overwhelmed by it. But here's the powerful thing. And church, this is what we need to get. Names reveal nature. Names reveal nature. 2018, we got the ACO building. And there was a painter in there. Some of you know the painter. Well, he made a mess all over the floor. So I bought some stuff to get the paint scrubbed out of the cement because I'm OCD like that. And I didn't want any paint splatter, so I was scrubbing it. And then Rod Rodriguez, who owns a painting company, walks by. And he says, I got a machine that can do that. And Eugene Wu had been helping me. We had been scrubbing this little thing for hours. I was like, this is dumb, man. I like the paint there. I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to add to it, make smiley faces, and act like we did it on purpose. And then I said, Rod, you have a machine like this? I didn't know you had that. And then he said to me, you didn't ask. I said, I didn't know you had the machine. He said, you didn't ask. The reality is, I didn't know Rod well enough. You see, the more I get to know somebody, I know how they can help. The more that you know who God is and what he can do, the more you know he can help. Because name reveals nature. And get this, church, this is where I get excited. It's God's nature to meet my needs. It's in his nature to meet my needs. You say, well, that's so selfish. No, 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 God. Guys, guys, no. I needed salvation. I needed sanctification. I needed healing. I need a shepherd. I need somebody who's with me. I need it. And it's in God's nature to meet those needs. But it's also in my nature. It's in my nature to tell God that my need is bigger than him. That's what we do. Some of us, we're like, my need is too big. God can't take care of it. That's our nature. Our nature is weak. Our nature is frail. Our nature is to act like my need is bigger than his name. That's why some of us walk around so discouraged and so frustrated, and we don't walk in victory because we think our need is bigger than his name. And God is here to tell us that his nature is totally different, and we don't understand his nature until we see his name. Do you see how prayer changes when we just start praying about how great his name is? That God's name changes everything. I think, church, we've lost sight of that. That's why we start. Hallowed be your name. Can't you see now why it's a worthy name? Can't you see now why this is a great name? And we didn't get to Shaddai and Elohim. We didn't even get to these things. God's name far surpasses. You know, growing up, I was never allowed to say, oh my gosh, or oh my God. Any of you grew up the same? Yeah, I was never allowed to say, oh my God, oh my gosh, or geez, never allowed to. Because of a commandment in Acts 20. He said, what was the commandment in Acts 20? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I was totally taught the wrong truth of that scripture. <laughs> this this scripture is interesting. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Vain just means empty. Empty means nothing. Imagine I walk into a bank with a mask. Well, that's very logical nowadays. But let's say it's a different mask. And I got a bag. And I walk in the middle of some bank. 
And let's just pretend I look like a classic bank robber. Stripe, black and white striped shirt, black pants, hoodie, mask, just on my eyes, not my face. Well, maybe now face. And then all of a sudden I walk in the middle of the bank and I start looking around and I start going like this into the bag. He would say, get that man help. And I say, I'm stealing. Try to arrest me. I can't take nothing. I can't steal nothing. Let me illustrate it even further. This week, I took four sixth grade girls from San Jose to Sonora and Columbia. For three hours, I was in the car with four sixth grade girls. And there was one behind my seat. And I kid you not, this is the first words out of her, out of her mouth. I'm going to annoy you now, Mr. Ermler. Are we there yet? 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 And I kid you not, that's what she proceeded to do. And I was like, we're not there yet, but you're about to be there. You could call Uber. I'm about to drop you off right here. Just the whole way up. Well, we got to Columbia, the gold miners town. And the girls were supposed to go buy gifts and souvenirs. One girl said, I have $100 to spend. One girl said, I have $35 to spend. Another girl said, I have $6 to spend. And another girl said, my dad is with me so I could spend whatever I want. (laughs) Guess which one was mine? You see, when we take God's name in vain, what we're saying is, God, you're actually not able to take care of the need. That's what it means to take God's name in vain. You see, Megan understood my dad's resources are not empty. He has some resources. And I can trust in his resources. You see, the power comes back into the church where we say, I'm not taking God's name in vain. And some of us, you don't have a job right now, and you're saying, I don't know if God can do this. You're taking his name in vain. Some of you are saying, my depression is too great right now. You are taking God's name in vain. Some of you say, God can't meet my need right now. You are taking God's name in vain because God has the resources. God can meet the need. God can come through as you and I begin to step back and say, wait a minute, God, you can move. You can work. But the church has to stop taking his name in vain. Let's close with this thought. His name is not nothing because that's what vain means, nothing. His name is not nothing. What if the church just this week began to just meditate on the name of God? Every day you just thought about that name. All of a sudden you're going to fall in love with Jesus all over again. You know prayer can radically change as you just meditate on the name of God. As you just study the names of God. Because then you realize, wait a minute. God, you satisfy and you meet all the needs and you can take care of it all. And as you hallow his name you will feel faith fill you up. You see, Christians, the reason we don't have the victory that we want is because we are not filled with the faith that we need. And five minutes of prayer is not enough to do it. An hour is the minimum. I want to challenge our church in this next season that we learn to pray an hour a day. And so from now on, you can come to church at 9 a.m. and we can start that on Sundays. You join me for prayer at 9 a.m. We'll be here. We're going to start praying. They'll be setting up. They'll be doing a huddle. But you join me at prayer. We're going to learn. The church, we have to learn how to pray. The work of the church should be a work of prayer. But it shouldn't just be one day a week. It should be every day. 
Every day you set that alarm clock and you get up and you say, I'm going to go to that place of prayer. Or before you go to bed, you say, I'm going to pray. And you see as God does something. And here's what's amazing, folks. Jesus was probably a fantastic preacher. Don't you think? He was great at miracles. He was great at leadership. But why is the disciples never asked him about those things? The one thing the disciples ask is teach us to pray. Because they got it. Would you go to Bill Gates and say, would you teach me about marriage? No. You wouldn't. You'd be like, hey, man, can you talk to me about how to be a good uh, software engineer? That's what you would talk to him about. Would you go to Kim Kardashian and say, hey, can you, t- I don't know, why are you talking to her? Anyway, you, you see what I mean? When you go to God, you're going to go to him and say, Lord, I know that you can help me in this situation. You see, prayer is not about convincing God to do a miracle, but convincing yourself that God can do the miracle. Amen. That's what prayer is. I love this verse in Daniel as we close. Daniel eleven thirty two. 32. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. There are over 8,000 promises in the Bible, but those are actually only potentially yours. And we're going to teach on that. If I haven't upset you or bothered you yet, this will bother you. Next week, come back because I'm going to teach you how to get everything you've ever wanted through prayer. Yeah. Come back next week. Because oftentimes, we're just like, all right, how do we pray? And I talked to the first one. How many hands? I'm gonna see, you're going to practice that, praying in the name of God this week. You're going to practice that. It'll change your prayer life. Amen. God bless you. I want you to practice that. Do a Google search, and you can get those names, and you pray through those names, and then apply them. Say, God, I'm lonely right now. Jehovah Shema, I don't need to be lonely. You're with me. God, I don't know what to do right now. I need a shepherd to guide me. Jehovah Rahi. Man, I don't feel well. Jehovah Rafi. God's our healer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. The greatest privilege we have is that we get to come into your presence. That we get to talk to the creator of the world. That we get to have communication with you. But for so long, we looked at communication the wrong way. And so, Father, thank you that in the model prayer, you now teach us how to communicate. You say, when we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we are just going to reverence your name and worship your name. You are good, God. You are great. You're our Savior. You're our provider. You're our miracle worker. God, that land is bought and paid for. Our church building is already built. It's already done in Jesus' name. The people that are going to be saved, it's already done. You already see it, God. We praise you in advance for what you're doing. God, the the broken hearts in this room, you're binding them up. God, the people that need healing in this room, they're experiencing healing now. God, the people that are feeling discouraged about the future, God, you're going to give them peace right now. We praise you right now because you are good. You are our God, and it's in your nature to meet our needs, God. And so we thank you. We reverence you. We worship you, God. We love you. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, for shedding his presence 
precious blood. That by the blood of Jesus, we have access to God. And I thank you, Father, for shedding it. I thank you for your promises in your word. I thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. I thank you for the peace that you provide. I thank you for the power that's flowing into this room. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in this place right now. Filling hearts, reviving hearts, stirring cold hearts, awakening us, quickening us, convicting us of sin, helping us to turn back to the Father. You are drawing us back to you, O God. And Father, we thank you and we praise you and we praise this, pray this together in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.